Experiencing anger today. Uh oh. Yeah, nothing really. Are you mad at me? No. Just I ev- assume everyone's well, mad at me. It was about me. I no, knew it. Everything pissed me off today. I'm sorry. Hold on a second. Okay. You know, I went out to like price a new. Um, what yeah. do you call this thing? Computer. Computer. Yeah, but I, but I was looking at um, the MacBook Air, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember MacBook Airs just being like really small, mm. you know, like like compact little thing you could just like throw around, right? Like a Chromebook. But now they're like the same size. They look exactly like MacBook Pros, and they're like almost as expensive. What is a I? Because I'm toying with the idea of wanting, but I, I want you. To I don't want to buy any duplicate equipment. Like yeah. part of me wants to like build a studio again and right. do a podcast. I'm like, why would I do a podcast studio when Mike has it all? Yeah, I, it's just I just like this crap and I want new things. That's what I'm doing. I just need this. Yeah, well, you actually need it for this. Well, yeah, but it, but it, but see that also like feeds into my addiction. Mm. Like it feeds into my cravings and my desires to have new shit all the mm-hmm. time, and it you wears know? off. Right. Like I, I was. I actually went down to. Um, Micro Center. Micro Center. You really? I love yeah, that. Yeah, I went down there to price them, and I and I like I almost walked out of there with like thousands of dollars worth. When of did stuff. you go? A couple weeks ago. Well, about a week during ago. the week or a weekend? Week during the week. So you could have visited me for lunch. I could have. Mm-hmm. I didn't know, I, you know, that you had lunch. You seem well, like the type of person that doesn't take a lunch. I don't take a lunch, See? but I I would for you. Oh. All right. Well, next time I'm over there, I'll call you. But anyway, it's it's sort of like it's the whack a mole, right? Like, who's the type of person that? Ta- okay, go on. I like, just, you know, away. I just got back from yeah. my trip where I had to like not not drink for whatever a half a week, and so I needed. I felt like I wanted to go out and spend money on something. I almost you know, it was so weird, and you know, I look back on this now and I think it was total like addiction weirdness working its way through me because I'm sitting at the conference and I'm like. What I need to do right now is buy a MacBook Air for the podcast. Interesting. So I'm in South Carolina. I poke up the nearest Apple store and I'm like, I wonder if I can get over there and just pick it up. And then I was like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. isn't that something? I didn't really think about it until wow. recently. I'm definitely guilty of that too. And, you know, when I'm analyzing my old behaviors and things like that, because once you stop drinking and using drugs, we're always trying to find the leak, you know, like what else? Like what is <laughs> find the leak? Yeah. There's a hole in the wetsuit. There's something leaking, you know. Dry suit. You know, I'm always trying to analyze, and um, I definitely identify with with that kind of issue, you know. And I'm seeing it in my son, mm. and I was explaining to him the other because he he sees something and then he gets fixated on it like this, you know, yeah. the switch OLED, and he gets it in his head. And it's all he thinks about. And I explained to him, I said Noah this is not good. This is an impulse that you're, you right. know, you have to learn how to say no to yourself. Yeah. Um, I'm terrible at that. That's why I have a variety of like cameras and microphones and stuff that I, I just uh, don't use, you know, yeah, that's why I, I should used never to have, buy in the first place. I used to have 20 Gibson Les Pauls practically. And guitars are different though. Instruments are different. Well, they, they hold their value. Cause when I sold them, see, <laughs> did you? Cause the, when I, the last time I sold my, um, Strat up in the Bronx. I only got like two bottles of crack for it. So. Oh, you got it for Crowell. Well, I have some stories about that. I guess the guys were not really. It's like when I traded players. my uh, I traded my Honda Accord for uh, four bundles of heroin. Um, <laughs> true story. Yeah. 
And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X. And I'm Mike R. And boy, do we have a show for you mm-hmm. today on RMA. As the nascent spring creeps through the wet leaves, nudging the budding flowers and casting a renewing sunlight across the earth's visage, RMA marches forward with another Recovery in the News Extra, discussing the next big addiction treatment and the trauma-informed workplace. Extra, extra, read all about it. All this and more today on a very special edition of RMA. And welcome. Welcome. Did uh, did you get... You're an English major, right? I was. Clearly. Yeah. Clearly, because it sounds like it. something that you yeah. had to write for a paper. I was an English major for 22 years. As the nascent spring creeps through the wet leaves. Now that's Not bad. a little too much disturbing. Is it really? Nascent spring creeping through the leaves, <laughs> nudging the budding flowers. Like that's like dirty old man aqualung stuff. Yeah, well, you know, like uh, full disclosure, I was about to print this at work and I noticed I forgot to write something. So oh. that was my No, that's good. 5 that's second good. um little write up there. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there you go. Here so, we are. you know who we have to thank, as usual? We have to thank... The fans, all of the new patrons? We have to thank our Patreon members. That's right. We got a few new ones. Yeah, we did. Uh, and we were continu- continuously thankful for the old ones. Uh, yeah, we love this you. this episode is brought to you by... Yeah, I see. That's great. Yeah. Wow. I don't get that thing on when I look at it on mm. the dashboard. I don't get the per month. Are the, you on the uh, app? Yeah, uh, yeah. Or of the web. Hmm. Yeah, maybe I need to upgrade the app. Yes, you do. Anyway, so uh, we're a listener-supported podcast, and um, yes, we I love saying that because it's so NPR. <laughs> yes. And uh, if you would like to help support what we do here at RMA, mosey on over to uh, patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages uh, and sign up. Mm. Uh, all different tiers of support are available mm-hmm. uh, from $3 on up, and um, $3 will get you a sticker. You get a sticker. And then... That's not the reason for joining. No, That's no, just no, but an it's, it's an incentive. It's an, it's an, an incentive. Uh, what 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 will really happen is once you join up, Nat will send you the codes to unlock the yes. secret vault of the Discord server. The sticker is for the first tier, just to you know to come in and chat on the Discord server. Then there's the eight dollar tier, Friar Tuck. Yes, and then they, they get a mug and the golden circle. Except unless you're Liz. Well, well she's in getting it. You don't get a mug. She, she was refusing <laughs> to receive things in the mail, and she didn't realize that she'd be getting something in the mail that was cool. Is that all straightened out. It's been straightened out. Okay, good. good. Queen Elizabeth is good. All right. Right. Um, so f- those of you who don't know what Patreon is, it's a members-only subscription service. Like I said, you get a- access to the Discord, uh, private messages, chat, and video meeting platform. Uh, it's like having a recovery support family right at your fingertips. Uh, you'll also get extra mini shows, pictures, exclusive merch for joining, and an added level of support for our collective recovery. Yep. Are we going to record uh, any part of the show on video today? Yeah, of course. Okay. Well, we're, we're looking, you know, we've I been toying around. something different. Yeah, well, I, I'm not exactly looking snazzy, but, you know, we were toying with different things to give you guys on the Patreon, you know, that we could do. You know, video episodes were an idea we had early. We've done a few of those. I'd like to do more. They just take so much time. It, it, yeah, but <laughs> I definitely want to do more of those. So what what we've been doing is when we get a, uh, an interview over Zencaster, we have the video interviews. Yes. And then the last week we did uh, the video of um, Recovery in the News. And um, Week and Weird. So mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of stuff on there. But really the, the support 
And the discussion group is where it's at, man. We're having fun. Yeah, we are. Um, and if you are a Patreon member and you have not yet joined us on Discord, please do that. Yeah, and write me if you don't uh, know how to get the link or something. Yeah, Nat's very diligent about sending the link out to new members. Yep. Um, yeah, so that's all I have to say about the Patreon. Well, now it's- I have one more thing to say. Okay. Um, if I haven't, you know, I just wanted to read the names when, when you list new members. Okay, thank you, Luke. Uh, thank you, David, new member. Thank you, Anita, new member. Thank you, David G. Thank you, Kyle, and thank you, Tim C. And everybody who has signed up, thank you very much. That's thank you very just much. Just the report that I thank see you, when I log thank in. Thank you. So thank you guys so much. Thank you. All right. And now you have to say the housekeeping thing. Yes, I have one more thing to say. Oh, Jesus Christ. Welcome to all the oh. monsters listening stateside, around the world, down the street, across the table, and right next door. Welcome all. Settle in, buckle up, and get ready for excitement, comedy, tragedy, intrigue, mystery, and so much more. Where can they find us, Mike? MiddleAgesRecovery.com, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Come hang out with us on our private Facebook group, uh, which you can find by searching for our public Facebook page. Recovery in the Middle Ages, yep. and then we'll let you in. Um, join us uh, on Sundays at 11.30 Eastern Time, where we have our weekly Recovery in the Middle Ages meetings that are chaired by the great G. Money Smooth and the lovely and talented... Tarented. Tarented. And yes. Mike shows up yeah. lately to it. I'm going to get back to it. I'm on it. time, usually. Yeah, Mike's oh. there. Yeah, you I get thought to you those said meetings. I show up, showed up lately. No, lately, not yeah. late. He's always on time. I'm always on time. Uh, and Aaron uh, is every other week. Um, and if you're having trouble finding it or getting the Zoom, the secret Zoom codes, uh, just email me at mikeartmiddleagesrecovery.com and I will provide those to you. Uh, you do not have to be a Patreon member or a member of the Facebook group or a member of anything, really, uh, to, show, to show up for the meeting. Uh, they're not traditional 12-step meetings. They're, we don't hold hands. We couldn't do that anyway. Um, we don't pray. Occasionally we sing. No, we don't sing. We, yeah, well, uh, I'll see so you haven't been in a while, That's so right. you should uh, you should come and sing. It's topic based. You either pick a topic and discuss it. Yes, usually uh, our leaders in. pick a nice topic, and uh, everybody just sort of riffs on it. Yeah. That's right. That's dead, dead air. air right there. Dead yeah, air. great reviews will be read right on the air. <laughs> uh, the best place to do that is the Apple Podcast app, but we'll take it where we can get it. It's because we're both married. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you like what you hear, please give us five st- I'm going to get in trouble. Five, please get five stars and help others find RMA through search. Every review helps. Do we have any reviews this week? Um, Didn't you have one from uh, Podbean? Yeah, I did. Um, so we had a review from Podbean. Who uses Podbean? Um, I don't know. I mean, besides uh, us to put the show out. I sent it to you, and it was something... That was like... Ages ago. Yeah. And um, you can review, you know, on iTunes is a, a great place to, to do a review. We'll read it. Um, <laughs> Are you still trying to find it? So, uh, <laughs> and you can also go to Spotify. And uh, I, don't think oh, you... I found it. Okay. Okay. So this is on Podbean. Oh, I found it. Uh, and it's from uh, Alex. Sal- yeah. Just it's a Alex. long name. Yeah. Here it is. Best podcast on recovery. All right. I can really relate. Right. Banter is hilarious. All right. Keep it up. More podcasts. Keep it up. We try. Again, yeah. married men. That's right. <laughs> can you give me a little I'm juice sorry. in the can? Actually, it doesn't sound good. <laughs> I need juice in what the can. What kind of juice you want in your can? Give me a little juice in the can. <laughs> Sicko. All right. I'm going to turn your knob. Turn right it now. How's that? Testing a little, yes. Okay, is that better? Good. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ! What is wrong? What kind of show us? is this? I don't I thought know. This was a family show. Tell us your story by logging on to middleagesrecovery.com. 
Uh, I tell you to fill out the your story form, but <laughs> I don't work. know that it's working. <laughs> so just send us an email to Mike R at middleagesrecovery.com and uh, we'll read your story. We'd like look forward to it. And we have a phone number, don't we? Yeah, yes, we do. Yes, we do. You can call the RMA hotline at 516-888-6297 and leave us a message. Keeping it at about three minutes, tell us your story, say hello, tell a joke, act out your life, uh, tell us how much the show means to you, and uh, we'll definitely play it on the air. No one has called the hotline since yeah. the holidays. It's rather. Are we sure? Can you check to see if? Um, well, I, I get a um, uh, notification every time. All right. Well, so I, w- post, I will look. I will make sure to look. An encouragement for people to do that. Yes. Um, moving right along, we've got a very special. Monster Speaks. What to leave it up to? Let's take a peek. The segment we call Monster Speaks. Speaks, 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 speaks. By the power of recovery, <laughs> I call on you, Monsters Speaks. Speak. <laughs> had to listen to that again. That's from He Man. That's He Man, right? Okay. Yeah, okay. So I uh, I had a pretty uh, like a passing thought the other day, <laughs> just one, just one, mm. and uh, it didn't pass me completely because I thought this is something. I oh would, yeah, this I, was like I was like, what a cheery way to introduce that topic. Sorry. Well, Sorry, go ahead. I was just this was on my mind. So okay. what I wrote was, "Hey guys, I was just thinking to myself, I haven't wished I would die in my sleep in a very long time." And it reminded me of how far I've come. I used to go to bed every night wishing for the angel of death to painlessly whisk me away to the great beyond, disappointed each time the sun hit my face the next morning. These days I'm just grateful for... (laughs) That's hilarious. These days I'm just grateful for another chance to get it right. What is something you use as a measure of a changed and more healthy life today in your recovery? Damn. That was dark. But it was I, fucking dark as right, I'm my sorry. friend. Well, you know, Were you having a bad day? I, I had some bad days last week. That, Did you? Uh, yeah, we could talk about. Um, but mean, this you, was one of them. You didn't reach out. Well, I reach out in my own way. You know, I don't... I was like manager. Yeah, you should have just... I didn't know what to say even. Like, it was one of those depressions where I'm like, am I depressed or like... I was totally perplexed by the way I was feeling, mm. um, but uh, luckily I shook it off today. Okay. So, um, Anne M says, uh, I am slowly learning to have more self-confidence and gratitude, appreciating my faults and knowing, yes, I have made bad choices and bad mistakes. Okay. Yep. Jim C. says, uh, sending a healthy human adult into the world that I pretty much raised solo with help, having a bunch of instruments and a running safe car that gets winter tires, that's a big trophy of stability, Mm. winter tires. You don't need them, but you're better off with them. That's (laughs) that's very true. Um, Kyle E. says, seeing progression again in hobbies I've neglected in the past. Me too. It's fun creating something and actually having something to show for it, even if you don't show anybody. I love that. Of course. That's great. I love it's that. It's like um, you just make art, uh, you know. Just to do it. Yeah. For a long time, you know, because when I was like a kid up until I went to school for music and everything, uh, I had this like in my head that I had to be a professional musician. I had to make it. Mm. And that was everything I practiced for and was performing for and creating. I had this idea in my head that it only mattered if if it was out and I was like, you know, professional and you know what I mean? And like, right. So when I begin to realize that, no, you're not going to be a rock star. It's just a, it's a ridiculous thing to wish for. Um, 
you know, it took the wind out of me a little bit and it took some maturity and time to begin to realize that's not the point of doing things like creating and playing music right. and art. Yeah. It's it's the the act of doing it and even if you don't show it, so it's a great point. Even if you don't nobody sees it, uh you're doing it and you know, it's kinda like how we did this podcast. We assumed it would be you and me and that's it. And we did it for the love of it and we continue to, but the fact that people are listening now is just an added bonus. It's not the point. I think that's just how the universe works. And and I don't know if you want to call it karma or if you want to just call it luck or being at the right place at the right time, but there are, there are an awful lot of people out there who are famous rock stars or whatever, who are, you know, far less talented probably than you are. Uh, you know, I remember, when I had failed out of college the first time, I was kind of looking for something to do. And I went down to this, um, this like technical school that was called the Institute for Audio Research. I don't know if you ever heard of them. They were in Manhattan and they had always had an ad in the back of the Village Voice. I think I have heard that. Yeah. So they were like, we'll teach you how to run a board. We'll teach you, you know, how to, how to mix albums and you can work in the music industry and it'll be awesome. And so I went down there and I had an interview with some, some guy who was sitting in a chair and he's like, where do you see yourself five years from now, man? And I was like, at Madison Square Garden playing in front of 20,000 people. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, well, that, you know, that's not going to happen, right? And I was like, fuck you. Fuck you, like, of course you, you haven't even heard me hack my way through a bad Grateful Dead song yet. How, how do you know that? How but, could uh, you? but I mean, you know, so maybe I was like talked out of that early when I, <laughs> yeah. young, but um, it, it's, it got me to thinking like, why, why do we do what we do? You know? I mean, there are people who write books, they don't publish them. And then there are people who write books and they, you know, they end up getting published and, you know, it's all fucking, yeah. you can be a hard worker, but I think, I think the intention matters so much. Like if yeah. your intention is to go out there and make money and be famous, I think, I think that maybe that doesn't come to you, you know? Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe if your intention is to make art and to, you know, just honor your spirit, your soul, whatever. Right, and just like Justin Bieber. All he wanted to do was make that YouTube video. He was just a kid. There's he an got exception on there. to every rule. He played it, and then from there, he became famous, but he didn't intend that. Is that what happened yeah. with him? I had he no idea. He was a YouTube, uh, I forget where I heard that, but he started out just, he made this YouTube video of him playing the guitar, just a kid, hmm. and it went viral, and then he blew up because of it, but he didn't know. But the thing is with kids today, like, that's that's such such a bad thing yeah. like because everybody is these you know my son I see my son doing it all the time he's looking at these TikTok videos that have like millions of views and he's watching people get rich being content creators and he's thinking like that that's you know easy it's right. a possibility it'll no, it's, you know it'll no, happen and you know all he's got to do is like do the you know press the right magic buttons and it's going to happen but yeah and Noah was doing that too and he gets so discouraged when he didn't get a million views yeah and I said, well, Noah, um, and then he saw us doing better, and he was like, well, why are you doing good, and I'm not on the downloads? Mm. And I said, Noah, for one thing, we do this every single week. I work on it constantly. Yeah. You can't just, you know, and I tried to work with him on his show. I'm like, let's, you know, put something together. Like, what do you want to do? What right. should you talk about? What game do you want to play? And he's like, no, I just want to wing it and make a million dollars. But there's so many people, though, that do put the work in and still don't. Right, it, you know what I mean. And, oh yeah. And so, like, if you're especially in music. if you set you right, music, uh, uh, theater, yeah, whatever, acting. So if you set yourself up right it, to to see that as the measure of success, fame and and fortune, yeah, then you are invariably going to be disappointed unless you're one of the rare few for whom grace reaches out and touches. You know. Yeah, I I would think of my artistic and musical efforts as buying a lotto ticket. <laughs> 
Mm. 99% of it just, you just expect to, you know, get out of it, the performing and, you know, maybe reaching someone or playing something for your friend. And if for some reason it blows, then great. It's like a lottery ticket. Yeah. That's that are the chances. Well, it's, and I mean, it, it's really Buddhist in a way because you, you, if you're not attached to the, to the outcome, you're not going to be like horribly disappointed when right. it doesn't happen. So you just kind of like go with, the, go, go with, with the, the flow, flow, man. And let the flow be with you. Yeah. Um, the wizened one, Alan B says, I lived in a park and now I have a mortgage. <laughs> I'm not sure which one is better, but yes, that is Depends on what park. a way to measure success. He's talking about Tompkins Square Park. He's probably better with a mortgage. Although now it's full of hipsters. I don't know. Who knows? But yes, thank you, Alan. So great to hear from you. Is this Deanne? Is that how you pronounce that? Deanne S? I think so. Uh, looking online at things I can afford to buy. Yay. Not waking up thinking, oh, fuck, here we go again and having to get up and shuffle all day. Oh, man, I remember the shuffle, the daily shuffle. Enjoying small things like walking the dogs at sunset. So many things. Great post. Thank you. Yeah. Adam P. wrote a little bit here. Says, I am happy that I am no longer ill in the bathroom every morning from anxiety over fears of one, all the work I haven't done and slacking off on the job, two, being found to be drinking on the job, me too, three, my wife finding out that I am drunk. I also had fears that my liver and or kidneys would be failing on me at some point, but nothing did nothing to find out. I think I felt like getting a diagnosis would only drive it home that I have problem and also declare to everyone close to me that it's a huge problem. I didn't look forward to death, but I sure wasn't doing anything to delay it. I'm glad that I no longer feel like my organs are out of whack, even though I am now overweight because I am not drinking each one of my meals. Hmm. I need to work on that. Thank you, Adam. You know, I I really identified with this because uh, especially the, all the work I haven't done in the slacking off in the job and being because uh, I didn't really drink on the job, but I, I certainly showed up. I slack off like twice a day. That's well, I mean, I slack off. Now, but, <laughs> Actually. But, I, but I, I have vivid memories of staying out till like three o'clock in the morning, taking the late uh, ferry home to Staten Island, and then having to be in court at nine o'clock in the morning uh, to argue a motion now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and, I, and just standing there. And, and I remember thinking um, I could be much more effective at arguing if I wasn't didn't have three hours of sleep and still smell like I was in a bar all night. Um, it's the worst. And, and the whole thing with the, the, the fears about the liver and the kidneys too, it was like, that was like a constant thing that was running through my brain. Yeah. Like, I'm like, how much longer can I do this without what kind like, of something damage? terrible happening to me? And you're like, not going to organs. a doctor. Like, no, of course not. I mean, I wasn't the way I was. And yeah. one of the worst feelings I ever had was if I had stayed up all night on like cocaine or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Because even if you, you know, I never slept on that. And right, me either. You're like, you know, I gotta be up by eight o'clock and mm-hmm. it's like six. Right. And you're like, fuck. And you yep. run out of your shit and you're like, you lie down and you're sweating and yep. you take a shower. Ugh. And you smell like cigarettes because I'm, you know, compulsively smoking because I'm right. so jittery. And you have to go and either you call in and make some kind of excuse and then you feel like shit about that and call your guy and do it again. Or you, I would try and get through work. Yeah, hit the shower and, and do oh, it. <laughs> the worst. And you're looking people in the eye and you're trying to like, do they know? Yeah. Do they know? Can yeah. they tell? And right. it's this constant fuck. Nothing like listening to the chirping oh, of little birds oh, at six o'clock in the morning while oh you're- Oh my God. <laughs> 
Or like if you're leaving whatever apartment your trap house yes. you're holed up in and you're walking out in the morning. And Talk you about the walk of shame. Go, people are going to work yes. and you're walking in the opposite direction. Ugh. Motherfuck. Yeah. Any case. Ugh, thanks for that trip down. Any time. <laughs> uh, Grant, Boyne, uh, Grant B. Moderator. <laughs> did, did, oh, yeah, I pulled this title? off of Facebook. Oh, Grant B. The Moderator. G-Money Smooth. Yes. Like many of us, initial recovery meant giving up some control over my life. First year of pandemic, I spent in a sober living house, then in an outpatient program. Voluntary, but absences where positive tests would have gotten me kicked out and feeling like a failure. And under the watchful eyes of my wife and daughter while working from home, my first solo trip, a hike with a Cafe RE group that involved a long drive and a hotel stay, made me feel like an adult again. Now I've made solo travel a regular thing. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Grant. Solo travel is sort of what I always did while I was drinking. Yeah, I, I was thinking about you going on that trip, and I was trying to put myself in your shoes. Mm. And that is a test I haven't had yet. You know, I've passed a lot of sobriety tests, so to speak. You right. know, going to a party with drinking, doing this, doing mm. that. And that, one thing I haven't done was have to travel and stay in a hotel room by myself. Mm. And hopefully I never have to. You just... Occupy your mind with other things. Oh, now I've got the monksters. Yeah. I've got my tandem sponsor. Right. And uh, there's yeah. always there's always something to engage with while you're on the road. That's not the mini bar. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think I'd be all right. Yeah. Brad says, Brad I don't B. know why I said it like that because <laughs> I'm sure Brad's a nice guy. Brad says <laughs> there Brad. are so many fucking Brad. <laughs> there are so many benchmarks, but I think my top one currently is all the times I used to write off as times it would be impossible to have plans, be productive, show up. Sundays were awash, lest I was brunching and Sunday fun daying. Uh, I was in a dark hole of regret. Sunday brunching. I never get into the Sunday brunch drink at the brunch thing, but it's a big deal in Manhattan. You, there's all these videos on the internet of drunken yeah. 20 year olds like falling all over the street after drinking like yeah. pitchers of mimosas and, and Bloody Marys. They used to call it, a, a, there was a dancing brunch phase when I was, I had a job as marketing director for this um, international furniture it was the weirdest job I ever had mm. and it was this German guy and he was like high fashion it's like you have to come to the dancing brunch on Sunday and I was <laughs> like um, <laughs> no thank you Dennis you're making me uncomfortable what was um, the dancing brunch I don't know I didn't go and he was very offended he said why didn't you come to the dancing brunch and I'm like I don't know man I don't want to go to it. and I was so strung out on heroin and uh, I'm like I couldn't imagine myself taking a train on a rainy Sunday in a New York City and then what's a dancing bride? I don't know. I don't know you drink I, your face off and then you just, dance? I, I couldn't imagine. It sounds it. horrible. Yeah, it's a dancing brunch, yeah. Real <laughs> good. Yeah. Uh, Mondays, I was the walking dead. Mo- uh, morning meetings the day after going to a base- basketball game with friends. Forget about it. Forget about it. Now these things come and go differently. I can commit to dinner with a loved one on a Sunday night or going uh, on a walk in the park with a friend slash mentor. I can show up Monday morning groggy, sure, but not a waste of space, torturously anxious and depleted of all dopamine and serotonin. (laughs) So true. I I don't have to strategize when I schedule meetings or calls for work based on the level of hungover I know I'll be. Impossible to at best tolerable ahead of time. I can let life come as it may and not need to try insanely hard strategizing my life, which was essentially protecting my addiction vigorously and know that I will be okay. Okay. Um, yes, right? I mean, all of the managing that had to go on that comes along with the drinking, with the, with the drugs, you know, managing the rest of your life so that you can fit the giant elephant uh, of addiction 
you know, into its place. Yeah. Shoehorning it in. Shoehorning the elephant of addiction into its elephant in the pen. I've, <laughs> I've <laughs> lost the, uh, I've lost the analogy, but, um, Sunday fun day. But think about it. How much work, how much work used to go into that? Oh my God. The amount of work you know? we used to put in energy and scheduling. Like he's oh. right. Like I would deliberately not schedule things because I would, I knew I would be too hungover to do them. It's you hungover or you have to go meet up with your guy and you have to come up with some excuse to mm-hmm. you, whomever you're lying to and work that yeah. in between. And, and then to try and remember who you said oh, what forget to. it. And like, you'd, I would always do things where I would, you know, be late for one thing and late for another and manage the excuse for each one. So I could carve out two hours to go grab something, mm. you know, and in the middle of the day and it'd be, ugh, ugh, nightmare. <clears throat> this is a fun topic. Yeah. Um, Anna Q. Oh, Nat, it breaks my heart to read that. But I'm so glad you don't feel like that anymore. Thanks, Anna. Um, Do another one. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. My Mac P. I got to be... <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know why that's funny. <laughs> what are you laughing at? I don't know. I got to be sober to watch my little one learn to ride a bike for the first time. Uh, what a blessing to not have been drunk or hungover. Agreed. Hope says, my relationship with my children. That's a great, you know, that's a, something I think about a lot. Yes. Not your relationship with your children. My <laughs> relationship with my children. <laughs> I'm honored that you um, think so much for my children. Elizabeth J. Uh, is this the same as uh, Liz B? No, obviously it's not. No, it's a, J, it's a J, not a You're B. You're right, you're right. It's a different letter in the alphabet. Sorry. Elizabeth J says, getting a call from one of my boys to pick them up from a friend's house late at night and being able to do so. Yep, yep. Yeah. I, although I, I still don't like getting those calls because I hate getting out of bed once I'm in bed. Ugh, me too. Like nine o'clock. Once if I get in. a call after nine o'clock to come pick somebody up, I'm, I'm not a happy camp. But you know what? That's part of parenting, right? That's right. Shiloh G says, um, Shiloh G sounds like a, it's a rap name, rap name, uh, that I get up every morning to be grateful. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know where that accent came from. That I get up every morning, <laughs> grateful to feel good, to have the time to stretch my body. I <laughs> Drink some coffee and not hate myself uh, for feeling like crap because I drank so much the yeah. night before. Yeah, people commented funny about that. <laughs> people commented on the last show because we were like cracking up the whole yeah, time. We were overtired, um, <laughs> underpaid. <laughs> Do you want to read this long one from David G? David G. Not very imaginative, but my apartment, the electricity in my apartment, my dogs, my driver's license, my cars, my full belly each night. My paid bills, the relationship I have with my father, the Sac State education I pay for myself, shit, my psychology degree, the fact that I can go out to breakfast anytime I want, meeting really cool new people like Grant Boykin, and that I wake up each morning knowing that I can accomplish whatever I put my heart and soul into and remember it all the very next day because I didn't black out the previous night. Um, Sorry, wait. Because I didn't black out the previous night now wondering who I need to apologize to or even worse, end a friendship with. Now, I get to choose my destiny. (laughs) And hope is a new four-letter word that I say to myself and that I can depend on. Thank you so much. That's great. You've made it. I really like that. I've been itching to use that. (laughs) I'm sorry. Chris M. says, I have a list of goals I have set for, I have set many of which I added before I stopped drinking. They range from small tasks I needed to remember to larger projects to more bucket list type long-term dreams. So many of them are crossed off now. I keep them on my phone and take a few minutes 
every weekend to review, feel proud, and reflect on the new ones. Just to go back yes. um, to the new four-letter word, hope. 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 Hope, DB. Keep hope alive. Yes. Um, hope was a word that I didn't have. Like, I, it wasn't in my vocabulary. Mm. I just assumed that I would just go on forever living this gray, little yeah. gray man life. It's like of, a zombie. Moderate like, alcoholism. Wandering the earth. Yeah. yeah. But it's true. I mean, now there's hope. Yeah. You can look forward to things, you know. Before you were a hopeless dope fiend, and now you're a dopeless hope fiend. <laughs> where's, where's that from? Um, AA? I've seen it on probably. a t-shirt. Okay. I've seen it on a bumper sticker. I like it, though. All right. Um, so, okay. moving on. Moving on. Thank, well, I just want to say thank you, everybody, yeah, for thanks, those. Um, I, you know, after reading all of that and discussing it, I think that was really good because it's getting us to remember. Yeah. You know, sometimes we can forget just how bad it got and just, you know, how to be grateful for these little things that aren't so little. Like for me, you know, sometimes I, I'm driving somewhere and I just go, huh, I can drive legally. Yeah. And, and that was a big deal. And it was a very big deal for me for a long time. So um, thank you guys very much for that. Would you say... You have an attitude of, of gratitude. gratitude. I would. <laughs> an attitude of gratitude. Um, Somebody else was quoting 12-step slogans to me the other day. But who? Who do I know is changes, in 12-strap? Nothing 12 changes. 12-strap. 12-strap is what we get. So uh, what happened to you last week? Anything interesting in the life of Mike? Yesterday was um, was my 12th anniversary. Ah. So Eric, Wait, really? Yeah. I didn't get you anything. You didn't get me anything for my 11th anniversary. I'm so sorry for that. I feel really bad about it. It's fine. I probably won't get you anything next year either, so just be ready for that. Aaron and I went out to Two Spring. We had a lovely dinner. Well, congratulations. And Two Spring is a constant, like, uh, I'm I'm trying to figure out the the owner there, Jesse, who wrote a book about Uh, his recovery from addiction. He's a fancy chef, for those of you who don't know. He was on TV for chefing. He won the Iron Chef competition. He's one of those guys. Yeah. Jesse Schenker, his name is, and he owned a couple of, of high-end restaurants in Manhattan, and then I guess he came out here, he found some investors, and now he's got a restaurant in our town, which is far too good for this town in terms of like the quality of the food there. Yeah. Um, it really is something else. And he's actually recently, and this is not should not be a commercial for Two Spring, but I'm going to kind of make it one anyway. Oh, Four Spring. Four Spring, Ooh. which is just him sitting in the center of a group of diners and he on the fly creates these amazing food oh my God. creations. We have to do it. We have to do it. But I think it's, it's only a prefix. They accept no dietary restrictions or limitations. And I think it's like 300 ahead. <laughs> yeah. So, but Aaron and I looked at it and we were like, yeah, hey, when know. we hit a hundred patrons, taking them out on the uh, company card. Me, you and me only, though. I was going to say we're taking all the patrons no. to patrons just, to Four just Spring. Us. Just we got to celebrate, and that's we're, we're going to take go. our patrons' money and spend it on a nice dinner. <laughs> no, is that what we're not. doing? We're going to donate it. All right, <laughs> to Jesse Shanker. Well, mostly to uh, Podbean. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I can't figure this guy out because he's got the most extensive liquor and wine selection in his restaurant. Uh, that I think I've ever seen. And, and he, by all accounts, is in recovery. I mean, he was an ex-heron yeah. addict and all this stuff. I mean, I'm not speaking out of school because he wrote an actual book about it. Um, we should get him on. But I know. But when I went there about a year ago, I noticed there were no NA options on the menu. And I, I complained about it a little bit, you know. But 
you know, they said, okay, the bartender will make you something. And they did. It was a nice, refreshing mocktail. But now they have mocktails on the menu, a whole section of them. I ordered one last night. It was horrible. Yeah, really bad. <laughs> I ordered like the wrong one. It was it had a wilted basil leaf in it. It just tasted. You, you shouldn't make a drink that tastes like basil. I got something there that was non-alcoholic. They made up that I liked. It was probably the light one with the lemon juice and the cucumber. Is know, that it? Maybe. Uh, anyway, it was a while ago. So we went there last night. We had a nice dinner. Aaron had some wine, and I had my mocktail and a bottle of um, uh, Pellegrino. Mm. And you know, we're both like. God, how much does that bottle of Pellegrino cost? You know, worried about. And I'm thinking, like, I, I would three years ago, I'd sit there and I'd drink like three glasses of wine at nineteen dollars a glass, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't, a, I wouldn't ask how much the wine yeah. was. But that, now you that, wanna... now I want to know how much the Pellegrino cost. So that was good, and it's you know, Aaron and I had a great time. Um, you know, oh, congrats. it was a nice, it was lovely. How lovely, many lovely. years now? Twelve. Twelve years. That's right. You said. Yeah. So the working from home picture uh, has cleared up. I'm doing two. Uh, in the office, and three at home. To what? Days in the office in New Jersey. Starting when? Starting May 2nd. Okay, that's not so bad. Yeah, All I'm right. home on Thursday. They're going to ease you back in. No, I hope that's it forever. All right, which days again? Uh, I will be here on Tuesdays. Wait, I'll be here. Yeah. On Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Okay, so we can do the yes, show. Yes, the show will not be effective. The show will go on, The show folks. will go on. All right, well, that's great. And um, and then you got her uh, Aaron's birthday coming up, so this is an expensive week yeah, for this you. Yeah, this week is a rough one. Oi. Yeah. So do you want to reveal what, what your plans are? Is this going to be like a, you know, like our birthdays for my wife and I just go by and we don't really do much? I feel guilty if I don't. Yeah. I mean, do I do some, you know? I always try, you know, we do try and do something, but it has definitely less these days. Well, like, you know, when, when there's family and, you know, she's got her mother and, yeah, you know, it always home. ends up being like some family thing. Yeah. You know? Her mom, yeah, Saint Christine's mom usually will go out to dinner or something. Yeah. But I mean, we'll I like to do something nice. I got her her present, but uh, it's. Don't reveal it on the air. She knows what it is. But I won't reveal it anyway. Uh But I will say that UPS came with it today. Is it a vacuum cleaner? (laughs) Close. Is it a walk? (laughs) (laughs) I would love to get a nice walk. Nice walk would be cool. Those were really popular in the 80s. Um, My parents had a plug-in walk. Interesting. Did you ever hear that? It's a walk. You just plug it in, and it doesn't get very hot. So it's like the opposite of what a walk should do. Ah, So it walks, but not enough. It doesn't quite walk right. Walk, but don't run. Yes. Anyway, I don't know. That's it. UPS, you know, UPS left a tag on the door. Mm. They're like, we rang and nobody was, there were four people in the fucking house. They didn't ring the bell. <laughs> well, hey, here's the thing. I was going to comment on this on the show. There is four people in this house, correct? Right now? Yeah. How yes. many people? Are, okay. So when I come in to do the show, it's like a ghost town. <laughs> well, I'm like, where is everybody? I mean, it's it's a decent sized place, but I mean- where are they? You don't hear them. All I hear is the dogs, but I come in and it's just, you know. Two teenagers are in their own rooms. Yeah, you think a teenager would be loud. No, they're very quiet. Yeah. And and Ben is in uh, Oculus land. Yeah. Uh, in his room, like wandering around a virtual reality. And Aaron, you, you the dogs, clearly you know that they're here. The dogs are here. You know, I have a ranch, which for those of you who don't know. <laughs> and cattle and everything. Can't, no, it's... Um, <laughs> There, it's just well, everything's on one floor, so I hear everything, see everything. There's there's no walking into my house without being bombarded by the 
uh, the laughter of children and the screams of their parents, you know. <laughs> but this is like Castle Grayskull, you know, you've got a couple floors and uh, so it must be nice. And here's Mike playing his guitar, chilling out like, hey, let's go do a show. And I'm like, what is this? Where? <laughs> what kind of bachelor pad are we dealing with here? Actually, Aaron was out picking up Jack at the train station. Uh-huh. So that's why the two of them were not here. But, but still, uh, every time. Yeah. So it's very nice. Very nice place. Happy to be here. <laughs> We're happy to have you. Happy to be here. Erin is uh, very upset Why? because she says that I don't offer you dinner when you come. Yeah, how could you? I, should, <laughs> I, I was going to say do something. Do you want some spaghetti and meatballs? I you, have, pa- you know what? Can we pause the show and feed me? Sure. Okay, we'll be right back. <laughs> that, that's a nice sentiment, but uh, as you can see, I don't eat. <laughs> I have given up on eating. So you're working on a nascent eating disorder? Yes. And um, well, that's cool. Yeah. What about you, Nat? What have you been up to? I had a very, very exciting week. Did you? Very exciting. Um, A few things. Uh, The biggest thing was WrestleMania was last week. Did you go live? I wish. No, I, I was just... I've been watching wrestling with my younger son. On the TV? On the TV. I've okay. taken him there once to one of the shows. And right. for his birthday, we got him a ticket. And he's so into it. It's the cutest thing. He's seven. He makes up his own little signs like mm-hmm. the people in the crowd and holds them up for his favorite wrestlers. Yes. It's our bonding thing. My father is completely horrified by <laughs> it. And uh, I think it's funny. And so it was WrestleMania. And this, this year, it's a special event for the professional wrestlers, which is completely ridiculous. And it was two nights. They did a... For a Saturday night and then a Sunday night. Wow, back to back. And it was just WrestleMania all weekend. But um, you get these things on pay per view or are they on just some ESPN channel? They are on pay per view, but because I'm a Peacock subscriber, it's just part of it. What the fuck is Peacock? Peacock is the NBC streaming oh, service. Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. like okay. $9 a month. So we don't, you don't pay extra for it. But uh, the other thing that was really exciting is um, I think I talked last week about my son Noah who I'm trying to find a place for, basically. like He's not into sports. He's 11 years old. And so I'm trying to find the things that he's interested in that are not just sitting in his room looking at his phone. Right. And I'm having some success. And we were going to the board game cafe last week. We passed this acting school. He was like, Daddy, I want to check this out. I'm like, really? Long story short, we signed him up for this acting class. And Saturday was his first one. And uh, it was really cool. I was um, I was very impressed. Honestly, it's kind of like you know, it's two hours. Mm-hmm. It's an hour of improv work, whatever that means, and an hour of like working on a script. Wow. Each child gets was emailed his own little monologue to work on, like a comedy monologue. The, the monologue wasn't comedy. Uh, that's too bad. Yeah, uh, I mean, you can make it funny, and it's just really cool. And he was so into it. And now he's got to memorize part of it for the next one. And they have all these instructions like, you're going to deliver it like you're, you know, saying it to some fictional character or someone you have to, like Santa Claus, and then change the way you deliver it depending on who you imagine you're speaking to. So it's like kind of cool. And um, I was really excited for him. But uh, the thing that came up was in in the town of uh, this neighboring town that's very hip, I used to go there to do a drink and to hang out. And they have uh, a lot of bars there. Bars all over the place, but there's really cool stores. That's where the, the board game cafe is. And, um, there's a cool comic book store a there, too. really cool yeah. comic book store. There was an awesome book. Like, just that kind of town. A lot of, a lot of old hippies. And 
Uh, and so <laughs> rich hippies, I had two hours and I dropped him off. Um, and I had two hours and I was like, it's only 15 minutes. So I was going to come home, mm. keep running errands. I'm just like, I'm on like a ramp, like a daddy does it rampage. I just want to get <laughs> shit done. And I called, I said to my wife, okay, you need me to run to the supermarket or what kind of errands do you need me to do? Like, I'm out. I got my car. Do you want me to come home and clean up the house? Like, tell me. And she's like, no, just hang out and, and you know, walk around a bit, grab some coffee and whatever. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, I was totally dumbfounded by the idea of having some time to myself. And it took me a minute, but I was like, huh, I could get, yeah. And I walked around and I looked into stores and I caught up on some of my social media and um, I got some coffee and I was just like wandering around and uh, it was really nice. But I came upon something called a kombucha bar, mm. uh, which I sent a picture of on, uh, on, the, on the Inner Sanctum. And it was, you know, I don't really do kombucha like you like kombucha. I love it. But these, this place, it was so like, you know, they had random skateboards and paraphernalia from hipsters and they had like a beer tap for kombucha, different flavors. Wow. They have different things they can put in it, like Delta 10 THC, CBD. Oh my God. You can drop it. Like they have a whole fucking thing. So I can get fucked up on kombucha and Delta 8? Yeah. And it comes with a really cool (laughs) bottle. um, And I was like tasting some of the kombucha. And uh, I was talking to the nice lady. Of course, I, I have time, so here I am. Talk- I'm like, so what's your name? She's like, Myra. And I'm like, how you doing? She's like, uh, can I help you with something? Can I help you, sir? <laughs> so I was kind of like, tell me about this. <laughs> I'm like, well, I, this is my exact words. What is this? Right. And uh, so she gave me the spiel, and I ended up walking out. With what was very, that? What? What was it? What? I mean, it's a place that sells THC and kombucha and skateboards. Kind is, of. Is this like a, a new kind of thing? I guess. It, I mean, you go in, you can buy their very own kombucha that, I don't know if they make it or just have it on Did tap. you sample any kombucha while yeah, you were there? Was I sampled, it good? Yes. Huh. Very tasty. I got to go find this place. It, it was excellent, actually. And um, and uh, and I got, I tried a bunch of them and I got my own whatever flavor it was. Did when, you ask them if there was any alcohol in it? Because a lot of those things are brewed. Without I did. Yeah. And I told her I was in recovery. Uh-huh. And I said, you know, a lot of my friends in recovery love kombucha. Mm. And um, and so I, I would love to, have, you know, I drink a lot of soda and water, but be nice to have something, you know, fermented that is an alcohol. She explained the process. She goes, my mom's in recovery. Oh. And she loves it. And um, there's no alcohol. They, they brew it apparently and ferment it up to the point where it, it would have had okay. alcohol or something. Wow. And uh, I need to find this store because I love kombucha. It's uh, right across from the Paramount, I think. Uh, if you go yes, up that street. Yes, should, yes. It's very cool. Anyway, I had a very fun experience. It was nice to to have some time and, um, and, and all of that. And Noah was just, he's just really, and I'm trying not to be too excited about him finding the acting class because yeah. I, he's meeting new kids. Right. It's, it's like he's getting the sports experience, like having a team and a coach. Right. But without the sports kids right, that he wasn't right, getting right. along yeah. with and doing something he's interested in. That's great. Uh, and I thought it was great. It was really cool. It made me happy. <laughs> Have you noticed that um, Delta 8, that used to be like the, the synthetic uh, THC that everybody was yeah, talking that about? Yeah, that, that I got really Yeah, I was taking on. that to sleep for a while. Yeah. 
now they have Delta 10. That's what they were selling. Seven and like all these different varieties. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so when you sent me the picture of that kombucha place that they said, like, if you leave your, um, if you leave your email, you can get a pre-roll and I'm like, so what do they do? Do they take the, they have the flower, the flower has no, THC in it though, so they must have to spray this on there. Yeah, I don't know. That's it's not a thing though. I've seen that a lot where they have the CBD flower. Yeah, and uh, so the, I guess they have all of that shit there. And um, yeah, uh, I don't know. I man. don't go for I that can't, stuff. I can't keep up with the uh, the weed and the weed derivatives. That's why I don't touch it. Yeah, yeah it's just easy. That's to just ignore. Yeah, you know. I mean, I think not it's, for me. It's interesting, and I'm not against it or anything. I don't have any moral opposition to this stuff. It's just not for me. Well. I don't know, because I got a call from a friend, mm. uh, the same friend who I spoke to, uh, I spoke about on last week's show, who said he was having some issues with AA and stuff. Right. And uh, he, you know, he called me just sort of check in. Wasn't he tripping or is that someone else? Uh, was he tripping? No. You said somebody oh, called he, you, different guy? Yeah, different guy. Okay. No, no, no. This is, this is a guy last week who was, mentioned he had some issues with AA and he was, you know, still smoking weed and stuff, but, um, but he, he quit, um, he quit cannabis and, um, he thought it was just about as hard as quitting, quitting booze, right? uh, sleeplessness, agitation, mm-hmm. all of this stuff. And he said that, you know, he was shocked because he, he always thought of marijuana and cannabis products as sort of a benign you know, no, no issues, you know, not an addictive substance, but he really is, ha- was having some problem. That'll happen Quitting. with anything. Coffee. I used to have a business yeah, this, partner. This transcends yeah. coffee though, man. This is like night sweats. Oh, like the, and, the full. Yeah. Like the whole thing. And, and so he, he started going to marijuana anonymous, which I guess is a thing. I guess yeah. it's fine. And he goes, uh, he goes, um, he goes, oh, they're much more chill than the people in AA meetings. And I'm like, that's not surprising, <laughs> that's not is it? They're <laughs> all chilled out, man. Yeah, it's it's a misnomer or it's a misconception that marijuana is somehow, you know, safe from all of the problems that the rest of the narcotics have. And it's not true. I mean, maybe the weed from the 80s, like the, the Mexican ditch weed that I used to smoke. It's like anything you know, else. Not, but this stuff now, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't want to sound like I'm some kind of alarmist fucking old guy ranting against There's always someone who can, you know, smoking weed. overdo it. But, I mean, I'm, if you want to smoke weed, go smoke. Smoke it up. Smoke weed. Smoke weed every, every day. day. Yeah, no. <laughs> but so. uh, anyway, I, I don't know. I thought that was interesting that... Um, you know, just as weed is becoming um, ubiquitous, right? It's everywhere now. And, and there's people yeah. in the city just selling it off oh, of carts. Yeah. And, you know? It's completely but, illegal. But, you know, and, you know. Dopey people, Dave was telling People are me. having all these problems with the, you know. I, I, I didn't realize it, but I was, um, I forget why Dave called me, but I was, he was called me and he was in the city because I think he's, he goes there for work or something. And um, he said something like, you know, oh, he's like, man, because weed is like everywhere in the city. It's comp- I said, wait, it's, it's everywhere. Legal? He goes, completely legal. You know, and so he's walking around just trying to get to the subway or the train, and he can't turn around without someone throwing, you know, weed in his face. Yeah, no, there's tables set up in Washington Square Park. People yeah. are just selling blunts. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And uh, you know, so that that could be dangerous. Like if um. It only takes one bad day if you don't have your program together. Well, I also don't think like these weed dealers are carting the kids really. 
No, no, anybody can. <laughs> you know, I mean, when I when I went to when I used to buy weed in Washington Square Park when I was a freshman in college, it was always sort of fifty fifty whether I was going to get ripped off or not, mm. or get something you know sprayed with a uh, raid or something you yeah. know. Or but uh, kids today, they don't know how good they have it. They can just walk up to a, a, <laughs> a table yeah. and buy like actual weed from somebody. Oh, yeah. really, uh, so I don't know. I'm not crazy about it. Um, I, uh, the other thing that happened, you know, it was a very busy weekend. We have a, my son's cousin who I call him my nephew, even though he's like my second cousin twice removed or something, but, uh, it was his birthday. And, uh, and so he came over, he, they wanted to sleep over and I'm like, yes, but you know, when there's a sleepover, it's daddy on duty, you know? Uh, my wife, she kind of like, you know, of course she's, you know, she'd do dinner and stuff, but she, when she goes to bed, just like she's on her schedule for work, right? you know, so she's not staying up. What do you actually have to do though? Well, it's, I'm, it's less and less as they get older, yeah. but I am sort of on top of them a little bit. Like I, che- I'm checking on them. They, you know, it's not so bad, but it's an, also an anxiety that I have, you know. What are you anxious about? I, I just, it's, I have, I'm, I have... These kids, have, my kids have somebody over, like they come down here and I, I open the door and throw a piece of raw meat down every once in a while. Yeah. Everybody seems to be fine. I, I mean, I was better this time, but um, I, I tend to stay up a little bit more. Hmm. You know, probably it's all in my head, but it makes me sleep worse, you know, especially because my older son still has trouble sleeping on his own. Oh, okay. So he will almost always still at the age of 11, and we're working on this, Um he still comes up at 1230. Oh, Landon fell asleep. Um, can we go to bed? You know, so really he'll wake me up and wow, you know, so we're, we're, we're actually working on that. Big God, time. does anybody sleep in your house? That uh, sounds so exhausting. Well, for me it is. It sounds yeah. like you don't sleep. <laughs> no, you don't much. eat and you don't sleep. I don't eat. I don't sleep. You should eat and sleep. I should, but, um, hopefully once, once he's more comfortable sleeping on his own, uh, something we're working on. I mean, in general, you should eat and sleep. I should, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just, you know, otherwise, because that's like you, your superpowers get diminished if you're lacking sleep. I, I do. And, and I'm getting very thin. You are getting thin. And what's the uh, matter? What's going on? I don't eat. And I'm starting to get comments and I'm just like, I just don't eat enough. So I'm going to get on a special diet where I eat. That's a good diet. And um, because clearly if I don't like actively make myself eat, uh, I'll just drink coffee through it. And, uh, <laughs> and my not anxiety healthy. is high enough that I can push through the hunger. And the hunger actually, but I'm maybe starting you need to smoke to, some weed. I think, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think I've lost 10 pounds since I started this job. Really? Yeah, I think. That's I haven't stress, been myself. You're stressed out, man. But today I made a, you know, I, I, one of my, um, one of the secretaries, uh, who we have like floating secretaries depending on which doctor. Cool. So, yeah, they're like, woo. <laughs> floating around. Um, so this particular Beverly, she's like in her 70s or 80s. She's a sweet old lady. And uh, of course, she has no compunction of just like other old ladies, like tell you exactly what they think. You right. Know? And she's made some comments. She's like, oh, Nat, you need to eat something. Why are you so thin? Oh, she, oh, she said like, you're so thin, you know. And I said, well, thank you. You know, because I have my, because yeah. I get it. I'm like, thank you very much. She goes, that's a good thing. I said, I don't know. You tell me, you know. And I kind of played it off, but I'm like, you know, and I was telling my wife, I'm like, God, like, you know, what is this shit with like, people are constantly like telling me, well, when I was a little overweight, everyone feels so comfortable. Like, oh, what happened? You look at the right, belly, right. you know? And when I get thin, it's like, oh, you're so thin, you should eat something. But it reminded me, I had a little like 
trigger of when I was sick, when I was in my addiction, and I, I was 20 pounds less than what I am now. Wow. Um, yeah, I was 128 or something. Jesus like that. Christ. Yeah, it was bad. Um, cause then you really don't eat. Like I, right, I do yeah. eat, you know, I usually eat between 10 and 2 AM, which I thought would make me gain weight because I eat crap. Your metabolism so jacked. I've been trying to just eat ice cream and, um, being lactose intolerant, it really is not good. Fuck man. But, um, I wish I had that problem. Yeah. Well, you, you've seen me before. I mean, I gain weight, you know, it, it'll happen, you know, but, uh, it may, reminded me of, I got this feeling like, do they think I'm sick? Like for real, like, oh. you know, uh, cause I was always trying to hide that I was using mm. and the, my weight was a real indicator of that. So my parents would look at me and, you know, mm-hmm. I was using again or my wife or people. And so I'm starting to get those questions again. Mm, that like, must be annoying. Well, it's annoying. It's disconcerting. It makes me question myself and how I'm doing. And I'm like, man, you know, maybe I'm not doing that good. Like, why am I so fucking thin? And what's wrong with me, you know? And I don't know. It's just been bothering me. And so I guess I'll just do Well, how do you feel? Because, I mean, that's really what matters. I feel basically fine. I mean, I have a lot of energy. I'm like doing things. I'm, I feel good. You know, I am, I'm a little hungry, <laughs> but <laughs> Do you I want a cookie? Good. Like I have some cookies upstairs. Yeah, I, I, I housed like a bag of these mini Tates at work. I'm like trying to, I don't know. I don't I think I just, if I just get back on my like, I um, work out eating, but I have to actually work out too. Well, you can drink some protein shakes. Or yes, some shit, I have a whole know? tub of these muscle milk protein shakes I used to take for working out. I'll just take it. They're great. I'll take one every day. I'll make sure I eat. Like today, I finally ate lunch and everybody in the office uh. cheered, you know, <laughs> because I ne- they're always like, Nat, are you going to go eat? I'm like, ah, too busy to eat, you know. And, um, and so today I said, I am going to eat. And they said, good. You know, so that's I, something I've been struggling with. I lately. mean, you've been, you've been through a very stressful period, a lot of changes, you know, with the job and the store closing and everything. But, but I think, you know, and, and maybe, and you know, I'm no therapist or anything, but maybe you're, you're sublimating some of this stuff and you're pouring so much into the work because it's like distracting you from like the stuff that's in your head. Mm. And maybe you need to like re-engage with your head and start, you know, spend a little time with Nat on Nat. Like, for example, you said last weekend when you were walking around uh, in Huntington, um, you were like kind of beside yourself because you never really yeah. do that. You don't have, you don't give yourself that time. Yeah, I didn't know what to do with you myself. You need to give yourself some time, my friend. Yeah. Because you can't just keep tightening the screw. I need a balance. I need more balance. You need mm-hmm. more balance. So that's where I'm at. I just worry about you, man. Yeah. I'll be okay. I just need to eat. Okay. I'd start right. here's the thing. I, I feel like I feel like I've gotten past a certain point with this company. I have turned it around. Things are I've hired the right people. Things are going more smoothly. I'm feeling more confident. And um I think it's a good time to start scheduling some food. I would agree. You any know. any of you monsters out there good at baking, you should send Nat <laughs> some treats. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Hit me up on Mike um, MikeArtMiddleAgesRecovery dot com, and yeah. I will I will figure out a way to get the get the goodies to Nat, yeah. so to speak. And anyway, I still feel good, and <laughs> I'm um, I'm happy. I just uh, I just want to look good. I want to look healthy. I don't want to be this emaciated. You don't look uh, Shell of myself. You don't look unhealthy. Well, good. Not yet. Not but yet. If you lose another ten pounds. I'm not. We're going to have to have another. No talk. way I could lose ten more pounds. I'm, I'm going to eat, guys. So uh, send me your diet tips. All right. Um, 
Okay, I've got a new segment. You told me before today so I could come up with some music for it. It's called A Particularly Pertinent Post. Post, post. Oh, maybe I'll figure something out tomorrow. Um, basically, this is from our, um, our private... Wait, hold on. What? You want to take a break? Stop. Yep. Okay, that's where I'm going to put the music. Yes. A particular pertinent post. Um, <clears throat> we've got this uh, great Facebook uh, private group, which is completely free, and you just have to apply. Facebook page, and it's like six hundred something people on there. And this was a post I saw it, and I was like, "Oh man, that's a great point." I want to do a show on this. I was just like, so I didn't write all of the response, but I just wanted to discuss. Okay, let's discuss. So um, David K says, "What was the post?" He says, "Counting days." Good subject. Oh, okay. Food for thought. Uh, There was a day I realized I stopped counting the days since my last drink. At some point, it didn't matter as much. Uh, Does this mean that I don't care anymore? Nope. It means I am growing and still growing one day at a time. Must have been uh, around 1,800 days when it happened. I'm glad I posted this because when I check my sober app, in four days, it will be 2,000 days, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Do you count? Be cool, be well, be happy. Being sober just becomes part of the territory. American Dave in London. Thank you, Dave. Um, I don't know. I just, I love this topic. American Dave in London. So do you count days? Like what? This is a big topic. People disagree on this. Some people love to count the seconds. Some people just like to say, oh, it's around five years or, um, you know, where do you stand, Mike? I'm standing right now. As you stand. That hurts. Um, Here's how I stand. I think it's. I think. I think it all depends on how you measure your own success. Yes. Um, for me, I found it very important in the beginning to count days because it showed me how far I had come. Right, uh, and one day was a big deal when I had no days, and then five days was a big deal because I'd never, you know, hadn't had five days in a while, and then. Sorry, just <laughs> posing for a photo. So uh, in the beginning, I did count days. I counted the 30s. I counted the 60s. I counted the 90s. I counted the 180s. I counted the 180s six months, is it? I don't know. I'm six months, a year. Somewhere yeah. after a year, I stopped counting uh, until I started getting close to two years. Then I kept looking obsessively again. Right. Uh, but since two years, I haven't really looked at all, although I'm 956 days today. I just know that because I looked it up two days ago. But... Um, so that's what I do. I think for some people, counting may be um, not a good idea. If you have a, if you're having so many day ones that you're finding it really hard to get traction, yeah. then maybe counting is not what, the way you should be measuring your success. Yeah, because it'll percentage, feel like you should measure it by a percentage of days sober versus days drinking. Because it can feel like an impossible task. Um, I remember. Everybody was counting days when I started, you know, going to the rooms and then I've got 14 days, three hours, 10 seconds. And so, of course, you want to do what everyone else is doing. It seems to be the way to measure, like the most basic, obvious way Mm -hmm. to measure how you're doing. And so I would get 30 days and you get a chip. I would relapse. I get another. (laughs) You should see my bag of chips that I'm going to bring it in and just, you know, shake it around. Um, and, uh, I got to a point where it was like, uh, diminishing returns. 
It was, I keep turning the mic off. Um, <laughs> it was just like, it put, I don't know, I, it had a negative effect on me. Yeah. You know, because it, when I was super, like, really counting, um, I, whenever I got to a milestone, like three months or six months, there was all of this pressure I put on myself and other people too, my sponsor. Mm-hmm. Are you getting six months? Last time I got six months, what happened? I relapsed. So what's going to happen this time? Can I do it? Can I reach the one year? And uh, it would make me fail. And it was only when I stopped obsessing over this. The other thing it does is it compounds the feeling of shame and failure. Yes. When you do relapse, Mm -hmm. because then you say, oh, I've lost all that that 184 days and it's gone and I'm back to zero. And that whole concept of the abstinence violation effect that we've spoken about is real. And um, I don't know. I don't like it for me. I know a lot of people hang their hat on it, and it's a good thing. It keeps them going because they think, I've got this much time. I don't want to lose it. Right. But even people who have like five years, if they relapse after five years, the effect of them having all that time and looking at it as a, as a failure as opposed to, you know, a five-year track yeah. record of success, yeah. I think that could lead to a lot of suicide, a lot of depression, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. For me in AA, you know, I was goal oriented, right? When I was in AA. So I was like 30 days, I got it. 60 days, I got it. And then 90 days to me was the big goal because that's what they all told me. Like do yeah. 90 meetings in 90 days. So I, I did that. So same I did thing. that. And then when I got to 90 days, I was like, fuck, I'm done. I yes. did it. And then I went out and had a drink on the 91st day. And I, I, that, I did that a couple of times. And yeah. I, and then it became a thing in my head. Like, I can't get past 90 days. Like, it became like this wall that I built up in my head. Yeah. And, and that's not healthy. (laughs) That's not the, what you want. You don't want to set these barriers for yourself. And then you get, you sort of hypnotize yourself into believing that you can never get past that because you've never been able to get past it before. Yeah. Yeah. I had to, to start what I did. And I'm thinking back now is I started not listening to all of the naysayers and negativity, which I got from everywhere, family, friends, recovery groups. I, I get to a point where I knew I was doing better. I knew I felt better. I knew my thoughts were better. Mm-hmm. I knew my behaviors were improving. But then I would slip. Right. Everyone would know because I'm taking piss tests. And it was this big, horrible thing. And I'm on probation. And what's wrong with you? And you must be doing something wrong. And mm-hmm. because, you know, it didn't work. And here you are. And, but I remember thinking, I know I'm doing better. Yeah. I know I'm feeling better. Fuck all of these people. I'm going to do what I do best pick myself up. And just keep getting better. And I remember having these arguments with my wife, you know, when I would relapse, you know, but I wouldn't go out like for another month. It would just be like a one or, you know, time thing, which is bad. Right. But, but not like you were. No. And I, it was impossible to argue that point from my position, yeah, you know, because right. I'm the asshole. I'm like the morally deficient criminal, you know, that's ruining our lives and everything. So how could I possibly tell you that I'm doing better when here I am slipping? But I knew that I was getting better and I kept pushing until my life got so much better, even that, you know, it didn't matter how many days and I just stopped relapsing finally. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, I don't know, a year goes by and I would look back and I go, hey, I've just been sober a year. You know, it was like a few days, you know, afterward, I realized it. And for me, 
you know, that was better. That was better for me because I just could not get out of my own way with the, the counting of the days. It's just not a good measure for me. It's not a good measure in general. And it's one thing if it's sort of just you who has to wrestle with the idea in your head about days and not being able to meet a certain number of days. But in your case, and in a lot of people's cases, abstinence is considered recovery, right? So, but that's not the way science looks at addiction, right? Right. I mean, uh, relapse is a part of recovery. And the idea that you should, you could be punished by the state or punished by a probation officer or, or, you know, somebody for something which is an integral part of recovery. Uh, yeah, or is, your group leader yeah. at these outpatients that make you feel like an right. asshole. But I mean, that. but that's, I, I guess this is, the larger discussion that needs to be had is whether abstinence is a measure of success in recovery. Because there's plenty of recovery modalities right now that are going on that are not abstinent-based. I mean, look at the whole Sinclair method, right? You take right. the pill, and then you go out, and you have, supposed drink. To have a drink. You're supposed to have That's a drink. That's how it right? works. And I remember something that Evan Haynes said when we were interviewing him. I don't know if he said it here or if I heard it on another podcast, but he said that um, his partner, Bob Forrest, who you know came up in the traditional you know 12-step milieu and all this stuff, and, yeah. and he said that Bob and his group solely like focused on long-term abstinent recovery are probably going to be the last generation right. for whom that is the standard of recovery. That stuck out to me yeah. that Bob Forrest said to Evan uh, that he, that this modality or this way of thinking is going to, quote, like, die with me. Right. Like, he's the, the last. And I think that may be a good thing. It may be. I mean, for me, I guess I'm old enough that I, I still sort of measure success in recovery by abstinence. Um, it's the easiest thing though. That's why but, it's but, not but I mean, nuanced. to me, it's like it's, abstinence is like a, it's a choice. It's not like a, it's not a chore. You know what I mean? Like, right. I'm, I'm choosing it because I prefer this state of mind. Right. But when it's the end all be all, it's all you're shooting for really. Right. I think a lot of people, but, but it is, it's very important. That's why I think it was good that you're counting days at the beginning, just because you're really trying to you know, maybe you have to at the beginning. I just, I you know what? Know. I'm a runner. I count miles. I count minutes run. I count, so I count days. I mean, it's just, it's part of my, it, it happens to dovetail nicely with my personality and the way I look at life in general, right? So, okay, that's good for me. That's what I do. But I, do I think that it should be, should be for everybody? I don't think so. Hmm. Anyway, so that's a particular, per, particularly pertinent post. <clears throat> Tell us what you think. Uh, there was some great uh, responses to that that we we're going to spare you reading all of them, but I think it's a great topic. It's it's one of these things, you know. Part of part of the show is discussing, you know, taking a look at the way things have been done and saying, "Is this right?" Mm-hmm. I feel like we're in a good spot to look back and say, "How did this work?" And hmm. maybe we should work? have another segment called "Is this bullshit." <laughs> is this bullshit? <laughs> and um, yeah. yeah, so tell us what you guys think. Uh, write us at Mike R at MiddleAgesRecovery.com. And um, after this, we are going to uh, go move on to our very special Recovery in the News Extra. And I think we'll take a short break. Okay. And we'll be right back after these words. Yeah. And we're back. Are you back? Yes. Are you getting some water? Okay. So, speaking of non-abstinent methods of recovery, 
Um, we're going to take a look at an article from the New York Times called The Next Big Addiction Treatment by uh, the author Brendan Burrell. This is in the March 31st uh, issue of the New York Times under the wellness section. Um, and the next big addiction treatment, I don't want to keep any of you in suspense, but it's magic mushrooms. Yes. <laughs> Psilocybin. Um, you know, in recent years, there's been a whole bunch of research that suggests that psychedelic drugs can help people manage a variety of mental health conditions like uh, depression, anxiety, PTSD, eating disorders, um, but a growing body of data, according to this article, points to one as the leading contender to treat the intractable disease of substance abuse, mm. psilocybin. The active ingredient in psychedelic mushrooms has shown promise in limited early studies, not only in alcohol and harder drugs, but also nicotine, all of which resist long-term treatment. Mm. Um, I found this really interesting because the cure, right, of psilocybin, and I don't know about you, but I've taken my fair share of acid and psilocybin trips in yep. my life. Me too. And it seems like in such an extreme method, like you're basically deconstructing your personality yeah. and reconstructing it. It breaks to, reality down. Yes, Completely. And doesn't that seem like a big step to take when you're trying to just say quit smoking? Well, they're they're talking <laughs> probably know? about microdosing, which no, they're not. They're actually talking about heroic sized doses. Oh, um, so they relate the story of this woman from Boston who is a professional. She's an investor, and she wanted to quit smoking. And she had heard about these psilocybin therapies and found managed to find a a trial at John Hopkins in Baltimore. So she flew down there, and before she uh, did the treatment, they had to do a brain scan of her to sort of get a baseline. And she had to not smoke for twenty four hours before the wow baseline. And she said it was the most hellish twenty four hours she ever had. So. She had a couple of talk therapy sessions at Hopkins. She was given a single pill containing 30 milligrams of psilocybin, which is a relatively high dose. Uh, She took the pill, put on an eye mask, laid on the couch, and went on a psychedelic trip with two therapists, (laughs) which seems really weird to me, but I guess that's how you should do it, uh, for the next five hours. I mean, I would just take mushrooms and run around in the woods, (laughs) but I guess I wasn't trying to stop smoking at the time. So anyway, when her trip ended, she sat up and looked at the therapist. Uh, now I understand why I smoke, she said, and I don't need to do that anymore. Yeah, I, I mean, it, I can relate to this. You know, the first time I did mushrooms, I was at boarding school and I had this hippie roommate, JJ, who was all about the Grateful Dead, which was mm. weird at the time. Like, I didn't know, but they he was a deadhead and he found these magic mushrooms or, you know, and he's like, you want to try them? Found them. And I, I don't know where he got them, you know, <laughs> but he got them. And um, I was always up to try something new, especially in high school. And I was away from home and everything. And, uh, but he did it. He's like, listen, dude, you know, he's very like, listen, you're going to take this and I'm going to guide you through it, man. I'm going to guide you through. And it was me and this other friend of mine, Johnson. How old were you? Uh, 15. So, you, so you're, you're with a 15 year old sha- Grateful Dead shaman who's yeah. going to take you on, an ac- on a psilocybin trip. Yep. Okay. In our dorm room. And uh, <laughs> we had the whole night, night. It was like a Saturday. So we didn't have anything like required anything at that night. It was me and my friend Johnson and he was walking us through it. And it was all of the, the things you think of, you know, it's like, okay. He's like, you know, you're starting a trip. Cool, man. He's like, all right. And he's talking, he's like, how are you feeling? And he's like, <laughs> so he guided us just like a therapist, right. but 15 
through the whole thing. And I had the most beautiful experience. I still think fondly mm-hmm. on that time. And just like, but I, I did have those kind of out of body revelations and yeah. to get outside myself and, and to see things from a perspective I couldn't even imagine before I did it. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, it can go horribly. I think it's great to have a 15 year old deadhead walk you through it or a therapist. I think well, it some, could be. I good. think it needs to be somebody you trust. Yes. Because your mental state going into these things is extremely important. I mean, I learned a lot of He's like, don't look in the mirror. Whatever you yeah, do, yeah. don't the, look in the mirror. That's sound advice for anyone yeah. taking any kind of psychedelics. Oh, I've uh, done it, though. Me, too. I, I was on acid, and it was, uh, it was like 16. It was uh, New Year's Eve. <laughs> Quick story. I was trip, and I, I was the only one of my friends who was taking acid because I was like at boarding school. I'd come back on a visit, and I'd be like the kid on drugs. Right. And uh, so I took a couple <laughs> hits of acid. And I remember we were getting ready to go out, and I was looking in the mirror, staring at myself, and I was like, do I look good, or do I look like uh, my hair's on fire? (laughs) And then he'd be like, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, no, do I... Am I looking like a snake more, or how do I... I just remember being so tuned up, but I fucking love that shit. Yeah, it's great. I, I... Psychedelics have, I've had good trips and I've had bad trips, but I've learned something from every one of them. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, the study that this woman was participating in, they did an earlier version of it, it published in 2014 with 15 smokers, and they had an 80% success rate um, of people who still weren't smoking, I think, a year afterwards, compared with 35% typically observed in patients taking uh, Chantex, which is, I guess, the. Uh, yeah, it's you know, the, the pill. typical pill that they, they give. So they've expanded the study to include more participants. They got a $4 million grant from the National Institutes of Health. Um, so that's nicotine, right? And I guess the thinking is because of the way psilocybin works, I mean, it's not like it's not like a Chantex or, or even like, um, you know, um, uh, naltrexone or something which blocks the desire to use the thing what it does is it basically it allows you to sort of deconstruct your personality and figure out what it what where that need is coming from and what's driving it because they really don't speak about the specifics of what this psilocybin therapy really is i don't think they know but i feel like some people have said that it's like getting 20 years of you know, therapy in one session. Yeah. Like you make breakthroughs. That's why people like this ayahuasca. It's the same thing. I mean, and okay, that's great. Uh, But what if you're, you know, mentally fragile to begin with? You know, there are people for whom um, taking psychedelic drugs like psilocybin or LSD, uh, there's there's studies that have shown that if you have a predisposition towards schizophrenia, yeah. uh, it can actually kick that off sure. inside your head, wh- wh- whereas it may have lain dormant uh, had you not gone down the psychedelic road. So my concern is that, you know, they're gonna, these clinics are going <laughs> to start popping up. Quit smoking in one treatment of psilocybin, and so all these people are going to be walking off the street and sitting down and, and like, experiencing ego death in three hours over, over their lunch break and <laughs> then try to go back to work and put the pieces of their fucking life back together. Yeah. Don't go back to work. Like, I mean, I couldn't like function normally for days. I mean, and there were times when I took acid multiple days in a row. Well, acid Never is a good different. idea. No, because um, that's a 10 hour situation. It is. Mushrooms can leave the body. If I remember correctly, three to six hours, I think. Well, you know, people would pee. Well, there's that whole thing like people in Mongolia would drink, 
reindeer urine oh. <laughs> because the reindeers would eat the psychedelic mushrooms. And it tastes great and is refreshing. And then they would pee it out and people would gather the urine and drink it. Oh. Because, and then they could get high off it. People will do anything to get high. And they will. It's fucking <laughs> ridiculous. Um, and then, of course, there's issues of access and equity, right? Um, you know, it's a five-hour duration. So how much five hours of therapy cost, right? And who's going to pay for that? And is this something that only like neurotic middle, upper middle class people who want to quit, you know, drinking and smoking or have access to or insurance companies going to pay for this. But I guess that's like some things down the road. Um, yeah. Maybe we should let the, uh, the Guinea pigs be neurotic, you know, upper class <laughs> people like let them figure it out before <laughs> we start handing it out at, you know, the soup kitchens. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's strange, but, um, but I mean, on the flip side of that, you know, you know, you and I always sit here and we talk about how addiction has very little to do with like actual substance abuse and uh, very much to do with what else is going on in your mind and in your conscious and in your subconscious and the idea of trying to integrate what's going on in your subconscious and in your uh, conscience and in your shadow with your waking life. And, mm-hmm. you know, I guess you can do that through years of meditation if you have the discipline and you have the time and you have the ability to access, you know, um, the resources to make that effective. But, um, you know, is this a shortcut to that? Can this like, can you go into this psychedelic experience and really learn something important and lasting about the, say, let's say the trauma that you experienced and how to work through that? And it, I think it's why not? I mean, obviously, everybody's well, gonna be different, like you said. Some people this will not work for, but why shouldn't it be uh, available? Like, why should it, I think it was probably dumb to begin with to make you know, psilocybin uh, a schedule. Was it a schedule one or a schedule two? Yeah, just I mean, illegal. They, they were researching it and let uh, them research it, and then the hippies got a hold of it, and all of a sudden they were painting buses day glow orange and driving around the country like. <laughs> You know, and you know it freaked out the squares, man. And they so they clamped the they clamped down on it because they didn't like the idea of people like unprogramming their minds from the propaganda that, that that's been stuffed in there their whole lives, right? And and becoming independent creative thinkers. I mean, you know that that's kind of how I see that. Um, but you know, and, and the thing that just kind of blows my mind is like you know. Um, in 2000, they did a, another study at John Hopkins to study the psychological effects of psilocybin on 30 volunteers, and they gave a survey to the participants two months after the session, and over half the people ranked that one session as among the most meaningful experience of their life. I mean, yeah, that, I is, that, is, think of that. that is incredible, but, it, but to me, it's sort of like... If you use something like that to quit smoking, is that like using a shotgun to kill a mosquito? Like, is it... <laughs> Or or should everybody do it? Well, the first time I, I tried mushrooms in high school, I thought, as I think a lot of people do when they take it, I thought, man, everybody should do this. If mm-hmm. only everybody could get the perspective that I just gained, yes. the world would shift happily now. Right. Earth shift happily now. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, listen, I believe in psychedelic... Um, Treatment. I think, uh, you know, it's like any kind of, uh, you know, formerly illegal drug that could be abused being used now for research and now for something positive. 
you know, it's, it's dicey. It makes us uncomfortable because of, you know, how we've been indoctrinated since we are children. But I think if we are realistic and look at the actual results and what it's really doing, you know, it sounds to me, based on my experience and based on what I'm reading here, that this could be, you know, just another tool, you know, for, for everybody who, you know, everyone is different. We say that a million times, like, why not? Right. What's a good reason? Like, give me a reason not. The only reason I, I would, and I wouldn't say not, I would just say to be cautious is that as different municipalities race to decriminalize psilocybin, it still remains on, you know, the federal illegal under federal drug laws. Um, I worry about sort of like what happened in Portland with mm. the rapid legalization of all drugs without a framework built up to handle the fallout. Um, Do you think that'll peter out though, as people it gets to be less of a novelty and the people who overdo it either die or go to jail yes, for but, some but other reason? I don't want people dying or going, people are going to die no matter what. Yeah. But you know, none of us gets out of here. alive. I think if you're going to, I think, I think you absolutely should, should people should take psychedelics. I think it, you really, it really does a good thing to your brain. Um, responsibly responsibly yes, please don't just tell people to take psychedelics and i think you really need to take a a long history and you have to look at people's genetic history in their family and whether there's schizophrenia in the family or whether there's any of these other you know issues that could potentially be brought out you can't just be giving something this powerful willy-nilly like yeah i mean and i say real. this as a deadhead who, who took fistfuls of acid in parking lots and then let jerry garcia melt my fucking mind yeah. like for <laughs> hundreds of times you know and um and i'm okay right and you're but a lawyer i'm okay but <laughs> but i have friends who are not okay who went through that same thing and did not come out the other side intact do you, you think know? it could cause permanent i mean is there permanent uh, damage that can be done with one time, though. Well, what does it? What does that even mean? Permanent damage. Like, does that mean like you 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 decide that you want to take yourself out of the, you know, the grind out of the capitalist machine, like and like become can, like an artist and go paint butterflies well, and shit? That I mean, would be I good. Yeah, I, I think. I, I mean, that's a positive. But what about something <laughs> akin to like wet brain? Is that a possibility? Uh, I definitely have seen people that have taken too much acid. What yes. about the guy from uh, Pink Floyd? There's always those rumors about Sid Barrett. Classic, yeah. classic example of somebody who probably had pre-existing genetic predisposition to schizophrenia set off by the LSD because he was never the same. You can blame the LSD. It probably wasn't the LSD itself. It Could probably have. was the LSD interacting with his specific brain chemistry. But that's exactly my point. You don't know how many people, are, how many Sid Barretts you're going to get out there. Right. You know, and some, some poor woman, you know, who, you know, wants to quit smoking because her kids are young and, and, you know, doesn't want to die of lung cancer. I'll be right back. I'm going to go get some (laughs) five hours later. She's like in a psychotic break and, you know, she's got to be institutionalized, you know, I mean, is that overstating the, the, the potential for that happening? I don't, I don't really know. Hmm. You know, I'm hardly like a, um, you know, a, uh, a just say no kind of guy, you know, about stuff like this, but. Well, I just think care and caution is necessary because, you know, people, they're also pushing this ketamine therapy. And, yeah, and all, what's interesting about ketamine is ketamine, the, effect, the antidepressant effects of ketamine wear off over time and you may need repeated infusions. And ketamine is, uh, is an, a, dr- a drug of abuse. It has addictive propensities oh, yeah. where, where psychedelics do not, you know, where, where psilocybin and LSD do not. So sort of lumping those together uh, and saying like all of these drugs are of a type, you know, I, I think that's a little irresponsible also, but, 
Um, well, there's an uncertain future, I think. Uh, although psilocybin remains illegal under federal drug laws, some yeah. cities, including Denver, Santa Cruz, California, have decriminalized it. And Oregon, in November 2020, voted to become the first state to legalize it for me- uh, medical use. You were just Everything's talking. legal in Oregon. <laughs> is, is that waning at all? Is it getting less horrific? Uh, I don't, I haven't. I wonder. You know what? I do have to go back in the fall for a conference. So, I'll, let, I'll see, let you know. Because my theory is the people who are going to go, you know, overboard are either going to die be incarcerated for some other crime, and then the rest of you know the people, it's gonna start to be because I, I was reading, I think it was Evan Haynes' book, where before uh, heroin became this major bad guy, you know, Schedule One narcotic, you could get it uh, in any, you could just go to the pharmacy; it's in everything. And um, it was in all those patent medicines. Yeah. And that you didn't, you know, according to Evan's book, there wasn't a lot of report, like the, the kind of heroin use that we see today, the, the, the people dropping dead, all of it. Well, yeah, it's a fentanyl thing. Well, now it's fentanyl, but, you know, maybe, maybe that's something, you know, to look at. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. None I, of us knows. I don't know. I um, mean, it's funny because they say that uh, they're looking at psilocybin for cocaine use disorder. And uh, I don't know about you, but I used to, um, I used to, <laughs> there's a handful of times when I would be um, tripping on LSD after a dead show and I'd, I'd go score some crack and smoke it. And that, we used to call that space basing. When you do what? When you smoke crack if you're on acid. Oh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, it really, it's a weird thing. Space base. <laughs> uh, I like the sound of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, what, what do you guys think? I mean, I, I've seen so many different uh, opinions on this. Listen, the research is happening finally. I think um, the more the better as far as data is concerned. Right. Let's continue to gather data. Let's not make any snap judgments based on our fucked up histories with drugs. Like, Fair it, enough. It's very easy to, to not be um, objective with this because of our history. Maybe we should go down to... Um to Peru mm. and do a show from an ayahuasca treatment center. I think that would be, we just like um, recovery elevator guy. Yeah. But uh, what if we decided that we didn't like each other after that? That would be bad. <laughs> so long as we got it on tape and you know, well, that's the thing. We would have to record the entire ayahuasca trip. That's right. I'll wear one of those lapel mics. You, they, there are places opening up. You can do them in the States now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We don't shall know. see. Um, you can also get DMT vapes. In Manhattan. Oh wow! Yeah, I don't want anything to do with DMT, man. <laughs> from what the I DMT heard, is like the businessman's psychedelic. You, I, you do I it on a, a lunch hour. I've got fear. I have a real fear of DMT. Why? Um, because I remember being in certain psychedelic situations with acid, where I could see how deep it could go. Mm. And I was like happy I didn't go that deep. Like I could see that wow, this could get a lot deeper. I like could get a lot further. And from what I understand, DMT is instant yeah. as far as you can get yeah. from the earth. Like yeah. you're, you're, you know, you're like your light body just shoots up and you see everything in 360 degrees and you're like, you detach from your fucking physical form. Like, I, I don't want that. But you, but you would appreciate this. Like most people, Many people who who take DMT report this having the same experience. They see the machine elves, yes. which are like the little people and the who are actually running everything. Yeah, I've seen them. You know, <laughs> so yeah, I know. And the uh, mechanical the spiders. Elves? I've seen the mechanical spiders. 
I took acid once and I went down to Battery Park and we were sitting there and watching the water, the sunlight reflect off the water in uh, New York Harbor. And the way it was reflecting off the water was so like mathematical that mm. it just looked like, um, it didn't look like water anymore. It just looked like a chaos field. It was so fucking cool. I the Statue of Liberty like just kind of floating right above it. And we, we just sat there and we were all seeing the same thing. Yeah. And we just sat there for like two hours <laughs> stared at the water moving around in geometric patterns. It was such a fucking crazy. And then we went yeah. up to the top of the World Trade Center. Oh, that was a great trip. Anywho, um, so that's that. We um, didn't play the Recovery in the News uh, song. Because we're kind of... Well, Is I, that Recovery in the News? Well, it's the Recovery in the News Extra. Okay. Um, so maybe for we've got another article to go over. Um, and for this one, we're going to do the song. You just want to do the song. Recovery, news, recovery. We didn't tape it. We were supposed to be on video. Oh, shit. But we forgot to do it. We'll do it next oh, yeah. week. Sorry, guys. Motherfucker. We were just... <laughs> Motherfucker. Yeah. Um, so this next one. Uh, <laughs> we Need Trauma-Informed Workplaces by Catherine Manning. Yeah. Uh, Yes, we usually don't uh, cover articles from the Harvard Business Review here at RMA, but uh, this one sort of popped up on, I think it was on um, uh, Sober Linings Playbook this week. Yes, soberliningsplaybook.com. Yeah, which is um, Grant's site where he aggregates all of the news stories that he comes across pertaining to addiction and recovery over the course of the week. It's an excellent resource. It's a one, sort of a one-stop shopping for... Uh, for addiction and recovery-related news. Um, but somebody made a comment to us in a review, Nat, you might remember last week, that they appreciated that we approached the trauma. addiction from a, tra- a trauma-informed perspective. Yes. And I started thinking about that. And then when this article popped up, I was like, well, that's interesting because apparently we're not the only ones who are or who should be approaching life from a trauma-informed perspective because mm-hmm. now that everyone's going back to work and, you know, post-pandemic, I mean, of course, there's lots of people that have been working through the pandemic who have uh, clearly sustained their own traumatic experiences mm-hmm. because of that. Um, but there's all these people who are going back to work to offices where nothing has changed mm-hmm. in, in terms of the way the people and management and human resources and so on are prepared to deal with people who have been through very difficult experiences. Maybe they've lost a loved one. Maybe they have um, just had major changes in their life outlook during the pandemic since they've been out of work for two years. And I'm sort of identifying myself in that, in that category. Um, So, there is all this post-pandemic trauma that people are coming back to the office with, but there's also all this pre-existing trauma that has always been there that hasn't really ever been addressed uh, in the workplace because the workplace has always been thought of somewhere where you go and exchange your labor in return for money and any sort of touchy-feely stuff was never really a part of the work experience. Mm -hmm. But this article in the Harvard Business Review puts it out there that since so many Americans have suffered from trauma uh, at some point in their past lives, 
past lives, maybe in their past life mm. as well, um, that the workplace, in order to be successful and to be a place that people want to go to, should take a trauma-informed approach to dealing with their employees. Mm. Now, the statistics they cite um, say that estimates say six in 10 men and five in 10 women experience at least one trauma and approximately 6% of the population will experience PTSD at some point in their lives. I think that statistic is low. I think it's more than 5 in 10 women because we all know the rate of sexual you know, abuse of women when they're young is extremely high. So I don't know if that was a self-reporting um, survey or what have you, but... Um, but you know, how do you define trauma, right? Well, um, it could be domestic violence, sexual assault, racism, bias, harassment, uh, economic uncertainty mm-hmm. or, um, political division, you know, political um, division. so yeah, I don't get that one either. Like but, in a family where the parents are fighting over Well, I mean, listen, let, let's face it, you know, whatever you think of Trump, he certainly cleaved a, a, a big yeah. line, you know, in the society and, and sort of... It was an unprecedented um, polarization of uh, the right. country. That may have existed beforehand, but it was certainly brought into sharp relief. It was pronounced. From, right, in 2016 big and on. Time. Um, so the other reason they say that the workplace should be a res- someplace that's, you know, trauma-informed is because the lines between work and home tend to blur. And, you know, we have greater expectations that the places that we work, the organizations that we work for need to su- supply support and leadership to employees. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Do you think it's the responsibility of a company? This is to- such a perfect topic for me because this is exactly, without me reading this article or knowing about this, this is exactly the approach I've been taking since day one with this company the company I've, I started working for was a very traditional workplace, obviously, like many. Um, you know, people in the office, you know, nine to five, it's stressful, but, the, you know, you had your typical office camaraderie and all of that. When the COVID hit, uh, it shook that place up. Now, they survived because they, they did a lot of the technical things to cope with uh, covid having people working from home and, you know, uh, remote acts, all of that stuff. Right. But what we've noticed, you know, when people started to come back, all of that trauma and all of that, like people just being different because, you know, they've been working from home and it was just, there was so much trauma. It was almost like a dysfunctional family. Mm -hmm. And all of the employees, I saw them as, you know, abused children or, or children who have gone through trauma and uh, and I approach it that way, and that's and I treat them with kid gloves. The ones that remained, and even the ones that you know ended up having to to leave us or had to fire. I mean, I do everything with, especially new employees. Now right. when I'm hiring people, and I'm asking most of them to to be in the office with me. I'm like the daddy at this place, and I'm trying to make them understand that I'm here. And you don't have to worry about um, some manager being abusive or not understanding you or not listening to you. And so I go out of my way to just look each one of them in the eye when I'm speaking to them to be sensitive to what's happening, you know, in their in their lives or what they've gone through. If I try and be, you know, aware of things. And I really, really think that that's one of the reasons things that the energy has shifted so much in that place. And you can feel it that... Since the day I got there compared to today, 
it is a different feeling of energy. Now, did the employees before you got there, because they the, the article goes into the two two um, concepts they talk about that organizations need to be aware of to be trauma-informed. One of them is institutional betrayal, and the other one is psychological safety. So institutional betrayal uh, occurs when an institution you trust or depend upon mistreats you. So if you have a shitty manager or you have people who are power-tripping in the office or whatever... This is what I'm cleaning up at there. That's what happened before. It's why I'm there. Right. So, you know, it, it can be part of the culture, yeah. Uh, you know, of the organization, yep. a culture of betrayal. Yes. And, you know, you're never going to be able to retain it. And not only that, but people who are, and the, the, the article doesn't really mention this, but people who are already struggling with stuff like uh, substance abuse issues, yeah. whatever, if they get like some kind of a, a megalomaniac sort of sociopathic or narcissistic manager, mm-hmm. they can really exacerbate someone's reliance yes. on drugs and alcohol because there's no safe space at work and yeah. there's no safe space at home. And I sensed, I sensed that when I came in and I, you know, I could see the way people's body language and they were, you know, unsure what was I doing there, you know? Right. And what I was really trying to just get across to some of them was like, this is safe. You can trust me. I want you to stick, please stick with me. I know it's been hard. I know they've, you've been wronged. I know the, the last situation, you don't want to trust us. Please like, you know, just work with me a little bit. Stick with me. I'll show you things are going to get better and I will be here every day. You, here's my cell phone. And then, and then also to back that up. So they do call and now there's, and it took some time for them to see that I was for real and that I'm there day in, day out. I put on a happy face. I asked them how they're doing. When they're looking for me, I, they can find me. There's no, I don't get angry, you know. Uh, and you can see that it took them some time. You know, the ones that stuck around, but some of them were so traumatized by mm. the situation. They couldn't even look me in the eye. And, and I, you know, they're like, I don't believe it can get better. So what you've done is you have taken the flip side of institutional betrayal by providing psychological psychological safety, yeah. which is the sense that within your team or organizations, it's acceptable for someone to admit they made a mistake yes. or don't know an answer or are struggling. And uh, that's critical, apparently, to making an organization work. And I, you know, I don't want to sit here and start sounding like we're some kind of business school no. you know, lecture. But, but this is um, so pertinent because, you know, and, and I have techniques for doing that, which is I'm self-deprecating. Yeah. I, I'm learning and I make mistakes and I, I own everything. And people see that and they appreciate it. Did you know that the Centers for Disease Control uh, identify six guiding principles for a trauma-informed approach really? to dealing with people in who are potentially experiencing trauma? Tell me more. Uh, the first one is safety. Uh, the second one is trustworthiness and transparency, peer support, collaboration and mutuality, empowerment, voice, and choice, and historical, cultural, and gender issues. So you can break those down into three overarching concepts, which would be acknowledgement. I, I, will, I will be heard by the people in charge. Mm-hmm. Support, I can get the help I need if I need it. And that covers everything from um, you know, employee assistant programs, that, that an employee who is having uh, an issue with alcohol and drugs feels like they can approach the organization and the organization will help them rather than just firing them uh, and trust. I will be treated fairly. So, uh, yeah. And, yeah. And it's, I wish I had read this, but it just reinforces, 
what I feel like I knew in my heart I wanted to do. You know what I mean? Mm. And I just, no matter how hard it was and how resistant, because it was such a toxic environment, and I was just determined to just fucking love the shit out of it until it <laughs> turned around, until they believed me that I care and I'm, I'm dedicated to making it better and you know being a better manager than they've ever had. And I think it's working. Great. Let me ask you this. Yes. Do you think 12-step programs, rehabs, places like that approach people with trauma-centered approaches? Or do you think better work and more work could be done in that area? What was your experience? Did people no. provide a safe atmosphere for you to feel safe in? Not always. In fact, rarely. Mm. And, you know, and I had some very traumatizing, but they make you feel like you deserve it, you know. And there was this one particular place called The Tempo Group. Mm. I'm naming them because I fucking hate those Naming people. and shaming. Naming and fuck those people because those, they were, it was the most negative energy. You walked into that group. And remember, I had to go to this for my probation. This right. was a, approved by... Oasis, which is the New York State, um, O-A-S-A-S, I think. And so I just remember, like, I was going to get better and to feel better and to complete my probation, you know, stuff like that. And the feeling I got walking into that group, it was just toxic. It was negative. I felt small. I felt it was just a worse feeling. And then it would get worse with this, the group leader, mm -hmm. Marty. And... Uh, Every time it would get to me, it was it, even just the asking how I'm doing was accusatory. <laughs> and it could have been in my head, but I don't think that it was thinking back on it because it was happened over and over. And mm. more than once I walked right out of there and I went to the liquor store before mm. I went home. Right. Risking my freedom in life because I couldn't be drinking because, you know, so it was the exact opposite. And there's so many places like that court ordered. And it's abusive and the dehumanization of, you know, urine tests. And when you do slip, it's like, what's wrong with you? And, oh, you did it again. I'm going to have to call your probate. Like, there was no safety. Not in every place, but, you know, that one in particular and most of them. Well, given that people like Gabor Mate and, and others seem to be coalescing around this idea that trauma is at the root of most addictions. It would seem like at the very least in a treatment program for addictions, trauma would be something that you address first and foremost from the outset, which is why a place like, um, you know, Aloe Recovery and, and Evan Haynes group, that whole idea about, you know, treating with compassion, um, you know, and, and uh, unconditional positivity yeah not toxic positivity but unconditional positive regard i think it's called yeah yes which seemed to be to me of be a far more effective way to deal with people whose real root issue is trauma that's manifesting in addiction rather than unconditional you know, positive regard i remember reading that and it like a light bulb i was like yeah. yes yep i love that and then and it's i think everybody deserves that yeah you know so we could all benefit from having trauma-informed workplaces, trauma-informed treatment centers, and trauma-informed therapists. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, that's where it's at. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I love this. I think this is very, you know, pertinent. 
and um, and I'm experiencing this right now. I, um, you know, it's so true, and it's uh, you know, reach out to us. Tell us how what you guys are experiencing. I'd love to hear from the monsters on, on your work experiences post COVID. You know, are you going back? Are you finding that your trauma is getting in the way of you returning to a traditional workspace? You know, have you seen any differences if you're going back to an old job that is retooled after COVID? I'm very curious to hear how uh, how it's going out there. Yes. Because every place can't have Nat X as the director. No, you know? So no. I'm wondering if anybody out there is <laughs> trying to do what I'm doing. All right. That's it for that article. And that was Recovery in the News Extra. Did you have another? I got another one. All right. We're going to keep going. <laughs> All right. This is going to be quick. All right. Quick okay. one on the extra. As you know, when I'm trolling the news sites for <laughs> material, yes. that's what I troll for, material. Material. Um, and I have a Google thing set up to, you know, on the term alcoholic. And sometimes I get some interesting articles back from uh, different corners of the world. And boofing is another one we get. Uh, you put the word boofing in. No, did you put the word boofing like, in? Anytime an article with the word boofing. It comes up for you? Yeah. You've yet to share one. I'm, I'm You're keeping them all for yourself? Collecting them, yeah. Okay. Filing them. Um, so uh, I... <laughs> I got a hit on the word alcoholic from a newspaper in Vietnam called the VN Express International. Uh, and the uh, article is from earlier in April. It's written by, uh, I don't know if it's a woman or a man, I'm sorry, by Hai Hien. And uh, the title is Too Often Too Much, Wives on Problems of Living with Alcoholic Husbands. Mm. Now, um, it starts off with this sentence. Gwen Tai Ho of Hanoi's Bak Tu Liem district has to ride her motorbike to a beer place her husband frequents to pick him up in an inebriated state. For over 10 years, the 40-year-old has gotten used to her husband going out to drink late at night and not being able to return home by himself. Um, so then she relays the history that when she first fell in love with him, she noticed he drank a lot, but she didn't think much of it because he was just having fun in his youth. And, you know, and you think, okay, this is a pretty typical story. Um, and then it starts to get a little, <laughs> it's a little strange. Um, her husband often does not eat dinner at home, claiming he needs to go out to drink with clients to maintain relationships, which will aid in negotiating contracts. They don't specifically say what he does for a living or anything. And, and then I'm like, well, okay, well, that sounds like the typical husband getting shit face after work, right? And yeah. then, then, it, then she goes on. Um, During the birth of their first child eight years ago, she had an appointment with the doctor for a surgery, and she told her husband to return home soon that night so he could take her to the hospital early the next morning. But he did not return home at all, and uh, she couldn't reach him since his phone was turned off. She contacted a friend who frequently drank with him, and he told her that uh, that her husband was drunk and lying on the floor of the pub. Um, so she's been doing this for 10 years now. And um, she wonders what magical powers alcohol has to have her husband hooked so thoroughly. Um, and I guess Vietnamese uh, men consider drinking an essential part of their life, uh, leaving their wives, girlfriends physically and emotionally drained. Um, one time when I was ill and could not pick my child up from school, I asked my husband to do it, but he ended up forgetting and leaving our child waiting in front of the school gate for hours. I'm like, it's like, it just keeps getting worse and worse. Um, once his wallet was stolen at the pub, but he was so intoxicated, he had no idea what happened. Um, he get, he gives his wife a few million dong from, for, is that what it is? It, yes. How many dongs? <laughs> a few million dongs from his monthly salary. <laughs> it's really a dong? For household expenses and keeps the rest for his, quote, personal expenses and, quote, doing important tasks. 
Uh, sometimes unable to manage when she asks him for money, his routine reply is he is quote out of money. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a good out reason. of money. Uh, <laughs> he crashed into a traffic divider while driving drunk six months ago, puncturing his abdomen and requiring the removal of a third of his stomach. Yeah, like <laughs> okay, it's caused a lot of dongs. Yeah, so um, but there is good news. What um, is the good news? The good news is that this fellow uh, quit drinking, sort of. Um, he, uh, let's see, sorry, I'm just getting to the bottom. Uh, though, though Duong has not stopped drinking completely, he only drinks once or twice a month and he comes home before 11 PM. Mm. I have not lost any valuable deals or friendships since I stopped drinking. He admits. That's good. Yes. That's no good. Valuable so it's a happy deals. ending, but, He's uh, hanging on his dongs have a happy ending. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he has more dongs to spend at home. Well, I wish him the best. Hang on to your dongs. Yes. Don't spend your dongs. And that is Recovery in the News. Yeah, I was feeling bad because I always sing the same thing on Recovery in the News and you know, I didn't do it this time. It's your signature. Move. I know. I feel like it's, people are going to be pissed. We're going to get, we're gonna get stick, hate mail. Stick to the script. And that brings us to. You have the sound. I'm up. ready. I'm ready. Weekend weird. Uh, River troll photographed in Mississippi. It's <laughs> a question mark. By who? Tim Banal. Of course. A bizarre picture circulating online purportedly shows some kind of humanoid creature that was allegedly spotted by an astounded witness in Mississippi. Maybe. (laughs) The peculiar photo, which can be seen in our show notes, and an account of the strange sighting was sent to the website Phantoms and Monsters. According to the unnamed individual who shared the image, the incident occurred back in 2015 while the witness and their family were living in a houseboat in coastal Mississippi. Mm. Mm. On an evening of a particularly low tide, they noticed something peculiar drinking water approximately 25 (laughs) yards away. And upon taking a closer look with some binoculars, they were astounded by what they saw. What was it? Off in the distance, the witness claims, was an entity that was, quote, pinkish tan with bulging eyes, funny-looking ears, two arms, and two legs. That could be anybody in Mississippi. And what appeared to be horns coming out of its head. Oh, okay. While understandably taken aback by the presence of the puzzling being, the confounded observer fortunately had the wherewithal to snap a picture of the puzzling creature that they likened to a river troll that was, quote, was devil ugly. That was devil ugly. What? How do they know what a river troll looks like? Well, clearly they've seen one before. To that end, the image accompanying their account shows what appears to be the head of a creature lurking beneath a sizable branch that extends over some water, claiming to have seen, quote, a lot of creepy stuff in the swamp (laughs) while living in their houseboat. No, no. I'm just, you know, trying to be accurate. The witness asserted that, I don't have to prove anything when it comes to the veracity of the photo. Uh, Be that as it may, skeptical observers will no doubt suggest that the oddity in the photo is either a trick of light and shadow, it appears to be a creature, or... 
perhaps some prosaic animal native to the region, and that the <laughs> like witness what? merely spun a tail to accompany the image. What sort of prosaic animal is native to the region that looks like a river troll? I, I think it's a river troll. I think, you know, there's no way it isn't a river <laughs> troll, I think. And uh, we, we're going to have to... I'm sure to the put, picture is crystal clear. We have to put the picture up. I put the link up. People can go find the picture. So look for that link. I want to hear what you guys think. Is it a river troll or some prosaic creature? It's a prosaic local creature. Did you know wherewithal is one word? No. I've never seen that spelled. Hmm. Wherewithal. Hmm. And that is Weak and Weird. And the end of another amazing show. It was great. I'm so happy we did it. Well, that about does it for today. I know I had a great time. Did you? Yeah, I just said I did. Thank you so much for listening, guys. <laughs> Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter. So tweet us a twat. You twit. Support your favorite show. Drop a five-star review on uh, iTunes, please. Come on. We need more reviews. Yeah, we need another review. Uh, join the private Facebook group. Um, buy a t-shirt, please, somebody, or simply write and say hello. <laughs> please, somebody. Um, we love meeting new monsters and chopping it up in the Facebook group. Join the Inner Sanctum at patreon.com slash recovery in the middle ages for a higher level of recovery support. We've got some video episodes up there. Higher level. We're doing more and more. We're talking. Come talk to us. Not this week, apparently. Come talk to the, uh, (laughs) come talk to the other monsters. It's just a really great community. I want to have you there. And finally, you know, we should do some chats. Yes. We can do chats on audio chat, right? Oh yeah. Audio chat. We're all like, Talking. It's just on audio. Yes. Yeah. Let's do it. So, okay. I mean, anything's possible on that Patreon. It's whatever we want to make right. it. Right. And finally, the best way to help the show is to share it with a friend. If you get something out of our little show, please share the love and help grow the RMA movement. And as we say, non proficiat perfectum. Progress, not perfection. See you next time. Be good, kids. Bye.